Well, it's good to be home. I uh, hope you're enjoying our services. I'm glad to be back. And we got a whole bunch of stuff happening at Grace here just in the next week or so. Um, as you may know, if you're following the stuff on our building, we've, it's not quite done, but it's just done enough that we can get a, a temporary occupancy uh, for our upward event that's going to happen tomorrow. So that's big news for us. We're planning on Wednesday night having our, our youth rally there. So that's great. And uh, all that's coming together. And, and not only that, what's happening in the church, of course, just what's happening around is Tuesday, we've got the big vote, right? So as believers who are good citizens, we get out and vote. Uh, part of our responsibility, I believe. So we want you to do that. And also want you to be praying for uh, the people who are involved in elections and, and the family members uh, who are there. We actually have four members of Grace who are, are running for office. I'd like you to pray for them just for the stress of running for the office. And that involves uh, John Havens uh, running for Sandusky County Commissioner. Uh, Holly Stacy running for Seneca County Commissioner. Um, we have Judge Schuff running for uh, Seneca County uh, Judge Court of Common Pleas, I believe it is. And then John Wookie running for uh, our county corner here in Sandusky. I, I don't know how stressful it is for John because he normally runs unopposed. So <laughs> I, I don't know how that is. But the job can be stressful. He may not be stressed, but it, I could tell it's a, it can be a stressful job, just some of the things that happen. And so we got a lot going on. Next Sunday is our Upward Sunday. Remember, for us, Upward is just a way to impact our community. And we have a lot of uh, non-churched or de-churched people that are a part of Upward. And so next Sunday, we were having an Upward Sunday. Basically, for first and second service, there's no difference. But for third service, it's kind of an Upward. We're doing things, kind of uh, slanting things for Upward to give a little more time to to acknowledge the participants in Upward. So if you normally, I know you're here in second, but if you normally come to third or maybe your, your hours got off, although that wouldn't make a lot of sense. But anyway, if you normally go to third hour, I would advise you to maybe not go to third, either come to first or second next week. Because again, third will be a lot more crowded than normal and we're doing some special things there. So we've got a lot of stuff going on. As a lot of you may know, I just got back for a couple weeks. I first went to Japan. I was, I was asked to go there actually a couple years ago as part of an investigative coalition about new strategies to reach the Japanese because now the Japanese people are the second largest unreached people group in the world. And of course, we've been supporting the Justinianos for over 20 years, I think, who have been there kind of slugging it out. And we're looking at uh, some new team strategies to be uh, even more effective in, uh, of, in reaching the Japanese. So uh, keep praying for uh, Ralph and Joan. They're, they're doing a, a tremendous job there. But we're looking at uh, bringing them some help and developing a team to try to pick up the pace as far as reaching Japanese. Tough field. And so remember that. After that, then I went to Thailand where I joined our team that was already in Thailand. So I caught about half of their trip and came back with them. And uh, we, uh, Jay was talking about that a little bit. We do have some pictures. Again, they, they, I, I missed some of this at the beginning, but uh, just a great time they were having there. And uh, I, I don't know why Jeff has the rabbit ears on. I mean, I didn't really, I wasn't there then, so I don't really know what's going on, but... Uh, but 
they seem to be having fun, and, and I miss this guy too, so who has a cobra in his mouth. And, but here's a team. We kind of joined up. This is some of our staff. And uh, here's Jay doing some work. He was actually stringing guitars, and we started doing that. All of a sudden, 11 guitars showed up, and so he was taking care of that. Did some baptisms while we were there. There's actually a pool right next door. On the other side of that wall is DS3 and DS4. And so we were uh, using the pool there to do some baptisms and just had a great time. We celebrated uh, in the boxes there. That's actually, those are boxes of ice cream. And they're making ice cream sandwiches. Do you see how they're making ice cream sandwiches? They're just putting the ice cream on the bread. And it's an ice cream sandwich. And pretty good. I mean, a lot better than you'd think. And extremely convenient. You don't even need, you don't dirty up any utensils. Uh, That's Jerry Miller. And we just all had a great time. There's Jeff. And uh, it's just amazing. There's Kaylee and Trina and with the kids. And you see sights you don't normally see. Uh, you know, we're driving along and this passes us. So uh, we got to visit a, a village and had fun there and uh, interacting with Tutu. Tutu's teaching us how to eat pine tree. And uh, that's what we're doing there. Just, uh, just kind of seeing the village life. This is Jay lending a villager his glasses because he couldn't see very well. And then his immediate question was, how much did these glasses cost? Because he wanted some. But uh, there's Kaylee with a, a village lady. And it's, it's just so cool to go there and interact with the kids. Uh, we have a great time. Oh, got to tell you about this. We, we got there and our kids play soccer. They don't have much of a soccer field. Actually, we're looking at addressing that. Um, but... They play soccer all the time, and then we heard that they wanted to challenge this other orphanage in another town called Wampapau, and Wampapau is about an hour and 20 minutes away, so they don't really get a chance to go do that, and that's actually an orphanage that's supported by a kind of a sister church to us at Worcester, Worcester Grace, and so we heard about that, so we set it all up where we took all of the kids over to Wampapau, and they have a huge soccer field, a full-size dirt soccer field. And, uh, and so we had this game. Now, the kids were great. I mean, they were very sportsmanlike and really treated each other with a lot of respect. And it was very cool. But we, as a staff, you know, the kids didn't really care if they won. We cared. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and so it was us against Worcester Grace. So that was important to us. And we won, so if you Worcester Grace guys are listening, ba-bam! <laughs> Nailed it, all right? So cool stuff. Ha- had a great time doing that, and uh, our kids were great. And we just, again, just had a great time interacting with the kids. The kids, they know, here's Jerry and Trina cooking, uh, they know that there's a bunch of people in Fremont, Ohio that support them, that take care of all their needs. And uh, they're very thankful. Here's the staff. We always try to take the staff out for a a nice lunch. We get some other staff to cover and then take them out to a restaurant of their choice. Actually, this time they went to a a new fancy mall and they picked a a restaurant called The Sizzler. I don't know if you know The Sizzler, but this is American food. This was, so I was like, nice, we can do this. And just had a great time. Here's a little, uh, like a tea hut uh, thing uh, on at DS3 and DS4, we're late at night. We'd go drink uh, tea out of bamboo cups. And uh, John Brink was with us for a little while. He had been working in Malaysia. Came over and joined us. He actually bought the kids uh, some soccer balls, and uh, the kids just had a, a great, great time while we were there. And already saying 
that they miss us. So basically, I want to tell you this, that if you're, if you're giving or you're serving at Grace, you're making ministries like this possible. And I know some of you are consistently giving uh, to our orphan care. We do this in Thailand. We also do it in the Central African Republic through a different way. We do it through churches. And so when you're giving and you're marking orphans, uh, I, I just want to thank you. You are making an impact. There are 57, I think, kids that are, being, that are becoming believers and being discipled in a country that's less than 1% Christian. And this is happening in several different or- orphanages. We do too. And two of them, and it's just a, a great, great opportunity. We did discover some needs that, that we want to take care of. We realized that four of our bathrooms weren't working, and so uh, we, some of our men on staff there are going to do that. We're, we're providing some funds for that and some different things. So uh, uh, putting our electric underground rather than, you know, the electric lines are running and they're just about 10 feet high, and it just seems like doesn't seem that safe with all our kids there. And then someday we're going to take their little bitty soccer field and level it because now it has ruts. It's all just dirt and has rain ruts all through it. Try to level it out and build a little retaining wall. And so that's coming up. But just cool stuff. Wish you could all be there. But I just want you to know, basically, I just want to say thank you. And that's what they would want to say as well. Well, we're in our series, Uncovering the Historical Jesus. And uh, this is our fourth week in the series. And I want you to think back. Uh, when we kicked off the series, I, I used the story of John the Baptist, an event that happened in the first century during Jesus' ministry, where he had been thrown in prison by Herod because of what he was preaching. And as he was in prison, he was hearing the ministry of Jesus. Remember, John the Baptist was there when Jesus started his ministry. He was there at the baptism of Jesus. And, and so he saw uh, Jesus' ministry be launched But then subsequent to that, he ends up in jail. Now he's just hearing about how the ministry is going. He knows, or he knew at the time, that Jesus was the Messiah. But because Jesus doesn't do everything that John expected him to do, John starts having doubts about who Jesus is. And so he sends some friends to go ask Jesus... Hey, remind me one more time. Just say it. I got to hear it one more time. Are you the one or is there another? Are you the Messiah? Just I want to hear it one more time because you're not doing this the way I would do it. It looks different than the way I I think it should look. Remind me. And if you'll remember, uh, Jesus replied to him. This is all in Matthew 11. Jesus told him, he told John's friends, hey, go back to John and tell him what you see and what you hear. How the lame walk, and the blind receive their sight, and lepers are cleansed, and the dead are raised. Go go tell John what you're seeing. And then Jesus closed that with kind of an interesting little statement. He said, and blessed are those who do not take offense at me. And we're thinking, well, what's offensive about healing people? Everybody likes that. that. That doesn't offend anybody. Well, what's offensive is what Jesus said, what Jesus taught, did offend people. You see, here's the problem. We, in our culture today, we, everybody has heard about Jesus. And everybody at least knows a little bit about Jesus. The problem with knowing a little bit about someone 
is then you start filling the gaps of what you don't know with what you think it ought to be. Kind of like John the Baptist looking at Jesus going, this isn't, this isn't jiving on the way I thought Jesus would be. Well, that's what we do. Our culture does. So we basically start making Jesus. We build on the little kernel that we know. And then we start just making Jesus the way we think Jesus ought to be. But that's usually in error. And so we just need to understand that. And because and, what we end up doing when we do that is we make Jesus into a caricature. For example, I'll talk to people about Christ and, and sometimes they'll push back when I'm talking about judgment and sin. They'll say, no, Jesus is love. God is love. Jesus always talked about love. Well, there's truth in that, but that's a caricature of Jesus. Because that's not all Jesus talked about. And when I point out to them that Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible, they're kind of shocked at that. Hell, judgment, separation from God. Jesus talked about those things. And so they have to square with that. And and that's why we have to keep digging and searching for the historical Jesus. Now, in this text that we covered a few weeks ago... Matthew chapter 11 and the story of John. After he sends John's disciples back to tell him what what they've seen and what they've heard. and, And blessed are those who are not offended. He then turns to the crowd and he talks about how great of a man John is. He kind of pays John a compliment. And then after that he starts talking about some other things. He starts talking about how this generation. He basically condemns his generation for their rejection of his being the Messiah. And and he says some interesting things. Like he says, hey, this generation, how will I compare it? Well, it's like kids in the marketplace who are playing a game and and they, they cry out to their other friends. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge for you, but you didn't mourn. You didn't play out the way we thought you would play out as we kind of tried to involve you in our game. And then Jesus says, what do I mean by that? He says, well, look at, look how it happened. John the Baptist comes and he lives like a hermit. He neither eats or drinks. You know, he's out eating locusts and honey. He he doesn't party or, or socialize with anybody. And then the people say, oh, John the Baptist, the religious leaders say, he must have a demon. Look how he lives. And then Jesus, the Messiah, comes and he interacts with sinners. He eats and drinks and he, he, he becomes friends to sinners. And they look at him and they say, hey, this guy, he's a gluttonous man. So no matter how they come, they're critical of the ministry. And people are, are just like that today. They're critical of, of churches and ministry. Oh, you're not doing this the way I would do this and that the way you do it. And, and people just kind of sit back and take pot shots. That's what they were doing with the ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus starts condemning them. And this is the stuff that Jesus says that people want to kind of erase. Jesus talks about the cities. He starts naming cities, Bethsaida, Chorazin. Uh, Capernaum, he starts saying, hey, you guys are in trouble because if, because I did miracles and you guys didn't repent, I proved to you who I was and you still didn't repent. 
He says, if I would have done in Tyre and Sidon what I did in, in front of you guys, these are non-Jewish cities, they would have repented long ago. But here I'm doing miracles for you, the Jewish people who should be expecting the Messiah, and you're not repenting. And he basically says they're going to face judgment, and they're going to face hell. That's what I'm talking about. The real Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, this is serious. The stakes are high. You need to figure this out. And here at Grace, we don't want to follow a caricature of Jesus. We want to uncover the historical Jesus that the Bible is eyewitness to as far as the New Testament is concerned. Now I want to go to the kind of the end of that passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 11. Because Jesus says something interesting beginning in verse 28. He ends this, and, and probably most of us have heard this set of verses. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we have this call, this invitation that Jesus puts out there, and it's an invitation to rest. And I want to quickly kind of work through these few verses and answer three questions as we do it. Question number one, why does Jesus offer rest? Question number two, who does Jesus offer rest to? And then third, how do we find the rest? So why does Jesus offer rest? Why is that his answer? Well, because people are, are burdened and they're tired. While I was in Japan, um, we were traveling mostly by train, and I was in the three most crowded train stations in the world, the top three. The first, the second, and the third. The third busiest train station in the world has 2.5 million people going through it every day. And there are two busier than that that we went through. And, and we're in these crowded train cars. By the way, the way to get into a crowded train car, when the doors open, it's crowded. They just turn around and they back in. And amazingly, they all seem to fit when that happens. But you just back in. And you're, you're standing there watching people, and everybody wants to sit, and, the, and half of the people sitting are sleeping. They're just exhausted. And when we kind of have that today, we have kind of overfilled, overstressed lives, and we get burdened. We get tired. I know some of you, you know, lost that hour last night, and you're tired, and you're just barely hanging with me. Focus, all right? Focus. Hang in there. But actually, a lot of times we kind of misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. I think a lot of times we're thinking that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to give you rest. And I'm going to give you rest by taking your burden away. But really, that's not exactly what he's saying. You know, we think that because that's the way we would do it. For example, if I was coming home from work and and Pam had worked that day, and I knew she had some extra things to do, and she was, you know, just kind of zapped and, and planning on fixing a meal. You know, like, like most of us guys, 
I might offer something like, hey, Pam, uh, let me take care of dinner. Let me cook dinner tonight. Actually, I would never say, let me cook dinner. I'd probably say, hey, let me go grab something uh, takeout to bring home to eat. But, you know, that's the point is we would want to take the burden off of her and, and put it on ourselves. That's the way we talk. But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying here. And he's really mainly not talking about physical burdens. Rather, he's talking about the burdens of life and and this heavy system, this religious system of works that the Pharisees and the scribes had put on the people, and that has interwoven into their everyday life. And so they have this burden. It's really just a burden of a life without Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus later says in Matthew 23, 4, Talking about those religious leaders, he says, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So you're burdening the people, but you're not really doing it. And here's what I'm talking about. For every law and every commandment, you got, and you have the top 10 commandments, but there's a lot of laws and commandments in the Old Testament. Even like commandment Number four, keeping the Sabbath day. That's just keeping a day of rest. You'd think this is the easiest commandment, right? Rest. Take a day off. I could do that. They, scholars tell us that the scribes and the Pharisees had six, over 600 rules on how to do the day of rest and what you could and couldn't. 600 rules. For the easiest commandment, you might say. Well, that's, and then they had all these other rules for all the other commandments. I mean, it was just burdening the people. Everything became a big deal. And Jesus is saying that any kind of law keeping, in order to make yourself right with God, if you understand God's holiness, it will wear you out. Even if you didn't have all the tradition of the 600 laws added to the original law, it would still be hard to do. That's what he's telling us. Because no amount of law keeping can bridge the gap between sinful people and a righteous and holy God. As a matter of fact, God says through Isaiah the prophet, if you'll remember, that all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. And so... This is the problem. This is the whole reason that Jesus came. This is what people misunderstand more about Jesus than anything else. This is how they miss the true historical Jesus. Paul says the same thing. He says in Romans 3.20, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul's saying, now the law isn't a way for us to keep it and so therefore be right and earn merit with God. Paul's saying, you cannot earn any merit with God through keeping of the law. No matter how good or how bad you do it, it does not work. He's saying what the law does for us is it teaches us how sinful we really are because we can't keep it. That's the misunderstanding. We cannot keep it. We cannot keep the law. That's all of our problems. 
And because of that, in Jesus' day, they had this religious system that created not only the law that was already impossible to keep, but then they piled up hundreds and hundreds of traditions on how to do it on top of that. That's why people kept coming to Jesus and asking him things like, what's the most important commandment? We can't do all this. It's crushing us. Give us some priorities. Help us to figure this out because we can't do it. And they were exactly right. And people were exhausted and discouraged and they're wondering, how can I ever please God? And they started to give up on God. But Jesus comes along and he promises to give them rest from all of that. And the next question is, so who does he offer it to? He says, come all. The invitation is to everyone. It's wide open. That's what's different about Christianity and any other religion. It's everybody's on the same playing field. We're all at the foot of the cross. We're all sinners. We're all needy. Every single one of us. And the invitation is to all, all people. There's only kind of one requirement. All who are weary and heavy laden. What he's saying there is all people who get that they can't do it, that they're bankrupt, that they're tired, that they can't get this done, they can't keep the law, that they realize the people who need help, they're tired, they're weary, they're given up, they know they need help, they know they cannot live in a way that will earn God's favor or earn God's merit. They can't do it. That's the biggest problem in life that we all have. We cannot do it. We need outside help. That's what Jesus is telling us. And the burdens, it's it's not just the rules and the law. I think it's also just life apart with God burdens us down. Hey, when we're not following God, we get bogged down with worry, bogged down with fear, bogged down with anxiety, bogged down with stress. Do you realize Jesus is telling us that as we follow him, that we shouldn't have those, we shouldn't experience that, that we can give all of that over to him? That just knowing him, learning from him, realizes, hey, we start realizing God loves us. That God is, is creator. That God promises to not allow anything to touch our lives that will crush us if we rely on him. Nothing could crush us. He'll never give us something too powerful for us to handle as we rely on God. There is nothing like that. He will never allow anything like that to touch your life. But we don't always live that way. And we get bogged down. Here's the twist. You know, it's open to all, but so how do we get it? And amazingly, kind of paradoxically, he says, well, how do you find this rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Does this strike anybody as kind of strange? Take my yoke? A yoke is what we do work with, right? I mean, if I was saying this, I'd say, oh, and some, some image for rest. Take my lazy boy. 
take my posturepedic mattress. You know, this kind of an image. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, take my yoke. Now, most of the time in Scripture, when the word yoke is used, it's the yoke we typically think of in our mind, a double oxen type of yoke, a yoke where two animals pull a cart or a plow. In this case, that's not what he's talking about, I don't believe. I believe he's talking about a single yoke. Or actually, specifically, what I think he's talking about is this. Do you know what this is? A human yoke. I picked this up for 20 bucks in an antique store. It's probably over 100 years old. This is how people from ancient times have been carrying. How many of you have ever carried two full five-gallon buckets. You know what I'm talking about? And then you know how your hands, your fingers start like the blood gets cut off. And then, you know, if you have to go any distance, you have to set them down, especially if you don't have those little plastic handle things. You know, you have to set it down and sort of let blood go back to your fingers. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, with this, you don't have to do that. See, these yokes... There's two holes here. They put a rope through it, and then the rope hangs down from either side. And sometimes they'd have a little hook on them, or sometimes you just tie the rope. And then you throw it on your shoulders, and you carry it, and your hands are free. And you're carrying the burden. And you don't have to stop and let blood get back into your fingers, because your fingers are fine. You can even carry some other stuff in your hands. This is the yoke that they used for centuries. And I believe this is the yoke that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, take my yoke Upon you. That's what he's saying. Because my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Interesting. Yokes make burdens easier. Just like the five gallon buckets. And so he's not offering. Hey I'm going to take the yoke off of you. And I'll put it on. And he's not thinking something that we might temp- be tempted to think that we're in this double yoke and he's going to come alongside of us and sort of put all his weight into it. And then we're just going to, it's going to be real easy for us. As attractive as that sounds, that's not what he's talking about either. He's saying, put my yoke on you. My burdens are light. My yoke is easy. And as this is kind of a hand carved yoke, it's hand carved to kind of fit over your shoulders and really if you think about it a perfectly fit yoke and a light burden is the best case scenario right it's like all of a sudden we're carrying it he's not saying there is no burden he's saying the burden is light that's what he's telling us and what is that well Jesus is offering us a new and different yoke which involves this lifelong process of learning. He says, come, take my yoke, learn from me. And so when we become a believer, we begin this lifelong process of learning how to follow Jesus, which is called discipleship, connected words there. And so that's how we learn to follow him. So we learn more and more about how to live the way God would want us to live. And our obedience... It's not that we don't do anything. We still have a yoke. It's our obedience to Christ, but it's not heavy because our salvation doesn't depend on it. It's light because we're following him in love. And it's our spiritual act of worship. That's what Paul says in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual service of worship. What Jesus is warning us is every other yoke that we are yoked to, every other one, it will lead to our destruction. It will hurt, it will weight us down, it will bury us. Only Christ's yoke is easy, only He makes the burden light. There's another kind of a aspect to this human yoke, and that is, in the New Testament, they would use this term of following the yoke of a rabbi, which meant people followed different teachers about how they interpreted the law and had all these traditions, and they'd be slightly different from one another. And so when people took up the mantle of following a specific rabbi, it was described as, I'll follow the yoke of this rabbi, meaning the, the way this rabbi says to do the law, I'll take that set of laws and I will carry that burden. And Jesus is saying, no. Jesus says, the supreme rabbi is saying, no, take my yoke because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. His way of life. Trust God. How to do everything in life. He's teaching us that through his word. A lot of people might think, well, well there's, there's really no difference, some people will say, between the Old Testament commandments and the commandments that were in existence in Jesus' day. I mean, God made the commandments, right? And God hasn't changed, so it's all the same. As a matter of fact, you can make the case that the commandments, the way Jesus taught them, were even heavier because in the Old Testament, it was all about action. But Jesus comes along and says, oh, it's not only just about what you do. It's also about what you think. You can sin against your creator in just thinking wrong, even before you do it, or even if you don't do it, just thinking it is wrong. But Jesus, he's saying, no, he taught us that his yoke is easy, Why? because he's done it. His burden is light because he accomplished the hard work of it for us. We still are yoked, but, but it's, not, it's not our salvation that at stake. And we need to understand this. Every generation has to understand this. One of the things we do in Thailand when we go see our orphans is we always try to take them out for kind of a unique experience. And, it, and by the way, I'm saying this. We're able to do this because of your generosity. But we'll go there and we'll try to do something that the orphans have never done before. Which, by the way, is getting harder and harder. Because every time we go, they've done more stuff. Like, you know, our team went to an elephant show before I got there. Well, we had already taken the, the orphans to an elephant show. And so they didn't, they didn't go to that. But, so, but we did something that I had been wanting to do. Just to, didn't know if it would work, but I wanted to do it. We actually took all the kids to kind of a, a mid-level mall in Thailand. Sort of a, a cheaper mall. And then gave them 100 bots, you know, which is less than three bucks, to have lunch, which basically costs about half that, and the, and the food court. And then we gave them all 500 bots, 12 bucks, to go buy whatever they wanted or save it or whatever they wanted to do. And then we turned loose the 57 kids <laughs> in this mall. It was a blast. You know, some of them were buying soccer shoes, which cost about 12 bucks, so that would be the whole deal. Some of them were saving, girls were buying, it was just, just a, a great time. When we got done there, 
we, we took them to a movie, which I've done that before. This time we bought everybody the large king size super jumbo Coke, which is kind of cool for me because I'm seeing these little kids carry the large king size super jumbo Coke. That just did me good, you know, because you never get enough to drink over there. But anyway, so they go in and then we decided to watch a movie called Kung Fu Panda 3. <laughs> it was good. And as we're sitting there and I'm with some kids, Tutu comes in and she kind of... Uh, switches places with somebody and sits next to me and says, well, I'm here in case you need anything interpreted. It's Kung Fu Panda 3. I mean, there's not a lot. I mean, you could pretty much follow the story. Wasn't a problem. But I only had one question for her. When we got all done, I didn't ask her any questions during the movie, although it's all in Thai, no subtitles. But at the end, I said, well, I just have one question for you to translate for me. She said, well, what is it? I go, one word. She goes, what is it? I said, skadoosh because they kept saying this word, skadoosh, skadoosh. So I said, what does skadoosh mean? And she says, it has no meaning in Thailand. It's skadoosh. It's skadoosh in English. It's skadoosh in Thailand. It's just an expression. Skadoosh means skadoosh. In every language, in every culture, it means the same thing, skadoosh. So if you watch it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But skadoosh transcends all cultures, time, and generations. And Jesus is trying to teach us something that transcends all cultures, time, and generations. He's saying that we've been created by God, and because of that, we all have been instilled with some sort of an awareness of God. We see evidence of God everywhere. Order never comes from chaos. There's a designer. We see evidence all around us. And then when we start learning about God, we assume that he's powerful. We assume he's good just by what we see. And, and so it makes logical sense that we would seek this creator. But as, we, as God has revealed himself, he's revealed himself as holy and righteous. And when we start understanding that, we realize we are out of sync with God. Big time. Because he's given us the standard of righteousness in that law in the Old Testament that we've been talking about. And we cannot keep it. None of us can. And not only that, Jesus keeps telling us, as much as people want to erase that part of what Jesus says, he keeps telling us that we will be judged for our sins. And the judgment is severe. I, I was sharing this in one of the villages that I got to speak in to say, it's severe because of who we're sinning to. We're sinning against God, our righteous creator. And so the stakes, the consequences are worse. You know, I use that illustration. Hey, you, you lie to your five-year-old. What can she do to you? Not much. You lie to your wife. You might be on the couch tonight. You lie to a police officer, wow, you might end up going to jail. You lie to the government, you'll go to, the jail, you'll go to jail for a long time. You lie to the king of Thailand, I don't know what happens to you. But every time the sin is the same, but the consequences increase. Our sin, all of our sin, is against a holy and righteous God, an infinite God who we owe everything to. And so the consequences of our sin are infinite. 
separation with God, separation from God forever. And so people strive through religions to try to make themselves better and somehow make themselves okay with God. But it can never work. Jesus says that will just ground you down. Especially if you understand how holy and righteous God is. You see, Jesus came to make a way for us to be connected with God. Jesus came. He walked on our planet. And the only person who ever walked on our planet, he kept the law perfectly and had no sin. He lived the life that all of us should have lived but could not. He lived life perfectly. And then he died, infinite God, was tortured and killed to pay our penalty for sin. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. But you can't get to that message unless you share the bad news that we're all under judgment that Jesus taught. And by paying for our sin, it's even more than that, he... He not only pays our sin debt, but he exchanges our sin for his righteousness. His righteousness is imputed to us as the theological term. We get his righteousness credited to our account. And how does that happen? Through faith. What's the last question? How do we get it? Through faith, by responding to him in faith, in trust, by taking his yoke, Not no yoke, his easy yoke, his light burden, that's what he wants for us. You see, if we can put on this yoke that's made perfectly to fit us and the burden is light, we can go anywhere. And so the question is, are you weary and are you heavy laden? If you're not a follower of Christ, there's a way to fix that. Jesus has made a way. It's repentance and faith. It's turning away from the way you're living and turn to Christ in trust, in faith, in belief. And if you're a Christian and you're sitting here going, my life feels burdened and heavy laden, me, a believer, Learn from Jesus. Learn to follow him. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Peter tells us that. James tells us that. Learn to live God's way. That's what he wants for all of us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for loving us and providing a way. And God, we thank you that we can impact people around the world and God we thank you for the the church family you've given us right here and Lord I thank you for their generosity Lord that we can come together and, and just do amazing things in Japan, Thailand, different places around the world 
But Lord, we can also come, more importantly, and study your word and discover who Jesus really was and is and apply that to our lives so we can understand Jesus in truth, who he actually was, rather than just sort of an image of who we think we ought to be in our minds. God, thank you for making that possible through the eyewitness records of the New Testament. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to follow you. And Lord, if there's any here that don't have a relationship with you, God, we pray that you would draw them to yourself and help them to see and respond to you in faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have any questions about how to have a relationship,